ready to burn through limiting beliefs and hear inspiring stories from others that beat the odds, you're in the right place. The Burn Podcast offers intense interviews on how down and out people reignited their passion in life to create an inferno of success. Join host Brandy, CEO of The Phoenix Factor, as she brings the fire in every episode. Now, here is your host, the walking truth bomb herself, Brandy Holloway. Okay, guys, welcome to the Burn Podcast. I am really excited about my guest today, uh, Sam Morris with the Unbreakable Human Collective. I am really, I want to dive into just that name altogether because that is a mouthful that says so much to me about what you're doing. And of course, I've I've watched a, a ton of your videos. I believe I originally connected with you on LinkedIn. Yes. And started following you on Instagram. Um, I love people that are real and authentic um, and drive it home. So tell me about the collective and what that means. So, you know, it started as the Unbreakable Man Project um, a couple of years ago. And then honestly, like with this whole, like the way the world is, the climate, the, the culture that we're experiencing right now, you know, I recognize that it's going to take humanity as a collective to come through this. You know, so when when we think when I think about becoming unbreakable, it has many levels to it, but it's you know, baseline. It's like let's raise our vibration. Let's get on the frequency that we were not on before. We were, you know, I, I've made the comparison a lot. I have firsthand knowledge of what addictions like, you know, through uh, family members and my own personal experience. So, you know, looking back at it before Corona, we were actually behaving like addicts. Like that's a we were you know overconsuming, treating each other poorly, rushing around without really care for what's going on around us. It was just reckless, really. And so, you know, that's like, that's just a low frequency that we were operating on. So as this has progressed over the past six or eight months, however long it's been, you know, I've realized that, you know, it's up to the individual. Definitely starts with an individual. It always does. But it's the oxygen mask theory. But in reality, like if, if we come together as a collective and consciously raise our standards, our musts, our you know, what we have to do as humans, we can come through this and we're going to be better on it. We're, this is an awakening. You know, we're going to be better on the other side of this. If we can just recognize that humanity is a collective and that as we as we each improve and grow and, and develop ourselves, we will rise together. I love that. I love that. And I, I will tell you this, um, and I hope this doesn't offend, you know, the fellows out there, but it's refreshing to actually hear a man say a lot of that. To, for me. And that's just from based on my own experiences in a lot of ways that, um, you know, where I grew up in the South, I grew up in Alabama. Um, mm. So talking about your feelings as a man or talk, you know, just any of those sharing those things, it, you know, it was always looked down on. And I yeah. have a son mm-hmm. who I want him to have that self-awareness and also that, um, you know, empathy for others and the kindness and just um, doing things for the greater, you know, good. So I love your initiative. I, and I continue to support you, of course. Awesome. Um, so I always dive right in with this. And I always, you know, my first question, because this is called the burn. And I like to learn about, you know, what's something that you had to really burn through in life, a challenge. I heard you bring up addiction. Um, I know some other things just from watching some of your videos that you've gone through. But what's something um, you could share, you know, that others could learn from that you had to burn through to get where you are? Yeah, so addiction is definitely when when I look at my life, like one of the it was definitely a struggle to come through that. But really about addiction is like I had to look at the things behind it and where it really started for me. 
And that was really, really young. Um, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't an addict early. I was actually a late bloomer into the addiction game, if you want to call it that. You know, like it, it didn't really blossom for me until I was 30. You know, prior to that, it was, just, it was partying and drinking, but it was there was no real consequences, no real broken relationships. So when I had to, when I came to the addiction, like for me, it was mental illness. Um, you know, I just operated over mental illness. And it, and it wasn't really even that I I didn't want to look at it. I just didn't have the language or the I, I wasn't vulnerable enough. I wasn't aware of myself enough to even recognize what was going on. And really, um, when I got sober at, at 38 in 2012, you know, one of the huge things that I knew I had to come, overcome was social anxiety and generalized anxiety disorder. And, you know, that was a big reason I drank was to overcome that anxiety. And once I cleared that away, cleared the alcohol away, the drugs away, the, the anxiety away, um, depression crept in. And so I, I kind of had like a lull after about four years of sobriety, I fell into a depression because I, you know, I thought life was supposed to be, you know, sunshine and puppies now I'm sober, rah, rah. And it just wasn't, you know, I had other underlying things that I hadn't dealt with, you know, and so um, coming through that mental illness and like actually taking a look at myself and saying like, what is like, this wasn't my first depression. It was just the first one sober and the first one that I had cleared away enough to really take a look at. So I had to get real honest with myself about why does why do I Sam keep falling into this? Why do I why is depression my kind of honestly it was a default for me. It was comfortable for me. Um, being that victim, being that you know depression is easy. If you you know it, it sucks. There's no question about it. It's not fun, but it's an easy existence because you kind of have an ex, it's like an excuse honestly. And this is my experience of it is that like I when someone told me like they said you're choosing that. I was like, no, like I'm, I'm not choosing this at all. This is awful. They're like, well, let's really look at it here. Like, you are actually every day that you, you chose a path that got you to here, and now you're choosing to stay there. And honestly, it's because Sam, it is easy for you, and, and it's true. So I had to look at that. And the biggest thing that came up for me was that before I got the, sober at 38, and even into sobriety, the two words of self-love didn't even register with me. I didn't even know those were, the, I, I, it was It's such a disconnect for me now looking back because I've done so much work on it. But like, I never, never once even thought about self, the words of self-love never crossed my tongue. It was something that I just never even thought about. And it was honestly a deep rooted story of like, not worthy, not enough. Yeah. Um, save me. I, you know, I didn't, self-love is about saving yourself. Self-love is where, if you know, self-love one of my favorite things to say is that everyone hates discipline, but discipline is actually just a form of self-love. I mean, you have the discipline to not choose depression. I mean, you have the discipline to not choose anxiety and not choose not self-love, you know, choose self-sabotaging. When you have discipline to choose the right things for you in self-love from a, from a place of self-love, you know, everything changes. And um, one book that changed a lot for me was uh, Kamal Ravikant to love yourself like your life depends upon it. And he has a question in that book that he he asks his readers to ask themselves in every situation in life. If you really loved yourself, if you really loved yourself, what would you do? Not not it has to be like if you because if if you're having a pro, if you're thinking about choosing depression or choosing anxiety, choosing addiction, you don't really love yourself. Okay, you know, that's, it, that's I've learned those lessons and and you know I as a matter of fact I I put a little, what I call a rapid fire, where I just talked about a little bit about that the other night about people having the need to feel special. Um, 
and that's that kind of goes along with it basically where you're handing over that opportunity to other people to control how you're feeling um and then a lot of people get severely triggered when you say well you're choosing depression you're choosing anxiety you know and i i had that happen to me someone said the same things to me and i was like you know fuck you i you don't understand i am freaking out my heart is racing i feel like i'm going to pass out i can't breathe like how am i choosing this but what if we really break that down, what we're saying is, A, if you're proactive about anything in, that's going on negative in your life if you, or something that's not aligned with your ideal you know, outcome that you want, if you reverse engineer it, there's probably a lot of things you can do to diminish or eliminate the things associated with the depression and the anxiety and all of those things. So like for me, you know, there's foods that trigger me. Uh, if I'm dehydrated, I get triggered. Obviously, if you're around certain people, <laughs> yeah. uh, you get triggered. You know, it's like you just have to get. And that's what you mean by that discipline and that self-love, right? Yeah, it's it's really looking at everything in your life, like with that that filter on it. Like, how does this affect me? Mm -hmm. People, places, things, foods. Yeah, all of it. Like it, it can set your it can set you off internally, externally. Like when you eat terribly, you feel terrible. You know, when you're around certain people, like if you really get in touch with like your energy levels and how you feel, you know, the one to, I, I like to say a one to 11 scale, but everyone knows the one to 10 scale, but the, that scale, like you, I recognize like if you're feeling good one day operating at an eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever it is. And all of a sudden someone shows up that it, it has a negative impact on your life. Like you feel that drop to a five or a six you might want to take a look at that. Same thing with food. If you go into a place, like if you're look at, if you reverse engineer all these events, you can basically build up a, a guard against them. You know, cause like what we operate in, people operate in, like they wait for the pain, they wait for the, the energy dip, they wait for the anxiety, they wait for the depression to hit. Then they're like, oh, I have to do something about this. When in reality, you can reverse engineer that event weeks, days, months, years back and protect yourself from it because you, you can see the path of your decisions, the path of your, like literally you're like where you were, who you were with, what you were doing, who, what you were saying, eating, all the things. If you can reverse engineer to, to move backwards from the event, you can stop the event from happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I literally, it, it, and I love it when this happened. I feel like the universe aligns, you know, so perfectly. This is the quote and I haven't even posted this. This is just literally the quote that I wrote last night. Cause I was thinking about this. I had watched a few of your, a few of your videos and I said, if your life, if your life sucks right now, ask yourself this question each day. Was I more committed to going after what I want in life or did I contribute energy to perpetuate where I don't want to be? And then I said, adjust accordingly, like be accountable for how you're feeling. Um, like I don't allow my kids like when they say, well, you made me they made me feel this way or they made me do that. And I don't even let them use that verbiage. I'm like, no, no one made you do anything. You chose to do that. Yeah. Right. So, so important. It's like the pointing the fingers at, at every, I love the term. Every time you point a finger, there's three pointing back at you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, find those three things. What are three things that, you know, if you're going to call yourself out on your shit, right. And you're going to get mm -hmm. real. Like what are three things you know that you did to contribute to the situation? Yeah. That's a, that's a, when you say triggered, like people get triggered by that. That's one of the questions I ask, like my clients, even my friends, I, like they come to me and they're like, you know, like, my girlfriend's being an asshole or my boyfriend's being an asshole or someone at work is being an asshole. And my first question is, what'd you do? What did you do? <laughs> what, what did yeah. they do? Let's let's, we can get to what they did in a second, but like, let's yeah. start with the real, like, what did you do? How, how'd you end up in this situation? You know? And immediately they're always like, oh, I, don't, 
I didn't do anything. Like this is out of the blue. Like, mm, not really. Never yeah, out, of I, out of the blue is never out of the blue. I love the whole idea of, so I, I hadn't, I had nothing to go on to know really what a healthy relationship was, you know, growing up. Um, I had gone through severe trauma at an early age as well and didn't, you know, I just wasn't armed with the things to deal with any of that. So I did the best that I could. My mom did the best she could, you know, definitely mm -hmm. not blaming. I had a great family, <clears throat> but it just, you know, when you know, you're, my mom, I think was 18, 19 when she had me, you know, just younger self. But I think a lot about that, uh, you know, all the time we waste because you're waiting for this solution to come from these situations that led to your demise, right? Whatever that is. I mean, I was married three times, all mm -hmm. horrible, um, you know, ended horribly. Um, but then you go back and I'm like, okay, well, um, I shouldn't have married any of them. And the red flags were there way before I even, you know, went into it, but I had no self-work. All I knew is there was somebody in my life paying attention to me and loving me or mm -hmm. what I thought was love at the time. Right. And so that's a big thing about this is I want people, when I say to burn, I mean, like, it's not about you being a victim anymore. It's like burning through all of that and being raw and like naked, you know, metaphorically, anyway, please don't get naked out in public. Um, <laughs> but, you know, metaphorically, just exposing yourself and it's scary as hell. And I know that's why a lot of people don't do it. I get it. You get it now because you're on the other side of it. Right. Yeah. But if someone right now is listening to this and let's say they're in a, you know, horrible relationship, abusive relationship, and I'm talking about some bad shit, like, or maybe yeah. they're, maybe they are addicted, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever. What's, you know, what's the one thing you could say, start here. Um, so the one thing I would say to start, I mean, start where they are, obviously, like they're going to what's happening in that situation is once they recognize that it's terrible, that they're in pain, or they're causing pain, or this is not serving them. The immediate thing is like, let's work it back. Let's let's find out, you know, why me is the question that comes up? Why me? What? And so the thing is, you have to start looking from the very moment that you're in, and like, like, how did it get here? What's like last week? You know, when did it start? I always say, like, when people come to me with you know, the depression or the anxiety, like, when was the first time you experienced those feelings? And was it when you were 15, when your girlfriend broke up with you, when it was 23, when you got fired from a job? Like, what is, where's the first time that you experienced this, this feeling? Because very, there's... After age seven to 18, you know, we, like zero to seven is our core belief. Seven to 18 is when we start having experiences that reinforce our core beliefs. So after seven to 18, it's, it's repetition. You know, we're experiencing, unless we, we're experiencing the same stuff and it could be painful or it could be good, but let's look at how many times this has come up in your life. So if you're in that situation of addiction or abusive relationship, you know, reverse engineer that. Start right where you are and, and look at the, make a list of like the current things that feel awful to you and then look back, look back at how long that, how long each of those things has been around and just, and don't, don't say just like, don't stop at just the relationship or don't stop at just the first time that, you know, you had a DUI or something like that. Go back and like really look at this path, these patterns. Everyone says, you know, business is big with like success leaves clues and everyone discounts, just puts that in the business box. But in life, Depression leaves clues, anxiety leaves clues, addiction leaves clues, 
everything leaves clues. Happiness leaves clues. So if you can look back and see, I love that video that you did on that. Yeah, it, it's. I, I just it occurred to me one day, like why why is it only business? <laughs> so um, if you can look back and just like find out where you are, find out exactly like define what's not working, define why it's not working, like in the moment, not and don't and stay out of like you know, ideal stuff, like in the future, like we all, you can get there about what you really want. But like, the real thing is like, define the moment, define the present moment for yourself. Define why it's bad, define how it affects you, define these, define when you've had these feelings before. And then you can start to see patterns developing. And then once you get the patterns, you can start to see the behaviors, the thoughts, the triggers, and then you can start reverse engineering all of it and, and removing the stuff that's not working, the clues that aren't working for you anymore. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I mean, I think once again, you know, that's a that's a tool, right? That we know now that's super important. Like I have, um, you know, just this journal notebook that I keep mm -hmm. and I but I write in it every day. But on the very first page, you know, I have a list of things that like you were just saying, I and I add to the list, but I mean, I have behaviors, patterns, experiences, love, limiting beliefs, trauma, anxiety, and I go through and I'm like, what's my feelings about all of these things today. Right. Mm. And if, and if there's something that feels negative, if there's something that feels off, um, then I address it now because what it's allowed me to do is just skyrocket in my efforts on everything else that I'm doing. So where a lot of people say they're overwhelmed in life, like they're overwhelmed with their feelings or they're overwhelmed. It's because you're not dealing with it. Yeah. And for a long time because that, that everything's now you're under a pile. Yeah. And I will say this, and this is one of the first things I had to burn through was um, I was addicted to overwhelm and I was addicted to chaos. <laughs> I was addicted because that was all I knew. So thinking, you know, when people talk about the shoe, the other shoe dropping, it wasn't even that it was like, you get your comfort zone is generally toxic. And a lot of people don't realize that it's toxic in some way. So mine was severely toxic. And when I realized that I was creating it, you know, I would start arguments. I would manipulate someone yeah. to start an argument. Now I don't argue. I'm like, if we can't have a conversation, then we're not going to talk. Right. So you, you can disagree with me, but you know, I'm just looking at all these gamuts of what people allow to trigger them and they go into overwhelm and then they don't do anything and they just sit and they have their little pity party and they, and they continue to be a victim, you know, and that's why I always say like, what, you know, what are those steps? So, the second question I like to ask everyone, I'll lead into that is for a teenager experiencing some of these things, because you were saying the you know, the core beliefs from seven to 18, you know, it's that repetition based on the core beliefs, like what they've, what they've learned. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone that's a teenager right now and they're already experiencing, you know, the depression, the anxiety, um, maybe thoughts of suicide, maybe they're doing drugs or thinking about doing drugs, you know, just all of those things. What, what's something that we can say to the younger kids, because that's a whole new ball game. Yeah. Um, I have, I have an eight year old and he'll be 12 in a couple of weeks, but I, you know, I think about these things. So what, what would you say to them if they're experiencing those things and where do they start? Because it's not as easy for them since they're not adults yet. Yeah. So the thing with the kids is like, they, they have the feelings, they don't have the language. Like they, they, they can, they experience a certain thing, but they're like, to them, it's, you know, I always equate it to the, to the, you know, as adults, when we're landing and going on a trip, we land the airplane lands, we understand that like that pressure in our head is the, the pressure, the cabin depressurizing. 
as a baby or a toddler, like all you know is that your head's about to explode. You don't understand the why or how or like what's going on. You don't have the language or the frame of reference for any of it. You know, all you know is that this is really uncomfortable and I'm going to cry and it's going to, and then you land, you're like, oh, not so bad, like whatever, you know, it, it changes. But the thing is, is like as kids, the first thing I would say, and this kind of falls onto the, the parents or the leaders or the, the people they look up to in their life is that the kids need to have the language to say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z right now. I'm feeling anxious right now. And they may think it's like they feel the heart racing or the, the disconnection or whatever it is. I mean, for me, when I was had the anxiety and depression as a kid, it was a real like a, 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 like a curtain would come over me. and I would just kind of shut down. And I didn't know, I, I just knew, I just knew like, this is really uncomfortable and I'm scared, but it yeah. was really, it was, it was anxiety and depression. And so if, if as kids, oh. we can go ahead. No, you're, you're um, fine. It just lags a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. As kids, like it's important to be able to say and to, to have a, 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 to establish a frame of reference and to use language to express how they're feeling because once you have the language to express how you're feeling then you can actually talk about it but until like for a kid they feel they they might just feel wrong and insecure and um you know like they just don't know and so they what they do is they internalize or shut down and then that perpetuates forever because they realize that like as long if i can just if i go to my room and i shut down and play video games you know eventually the feeling goes away so then they figure out that's the solution when in reality, the solution is let's, you know, you have to say like, I'm feeling this way, you know, mom, when you were super nice to Joey and you, and I was struggling too, and you didn't pay attention to me, that made me feel, you know, not enough or not worthy. And so if, if a kid can have that language to even to, to just say it, to voice it, to communicate it, that can go a long way. So, I mean, as far as the kids go, that goes to like books they read, shows they watch, um, conversations that they have with, with their parents or with their teachers or, you know, any kind of thing that you, they can do, a kid can do to learn the language and to, and to learn how to bring that feeling, that experience into words and to be able to voice it accurately, that will go a long way. And, and the kid won't recognize it at the time. Like I recognize it now, like as long as I can properly voice or whether that's journaling, talking, whatever it is, um, yeah, it, it takes the, it, it's a pressure cooker until you, until you say it out loud, it's a pressure cooker until you relieve that pressure. It's all just like that steam is just in there and, and just causing problems. Yeah. I was, it's funny. I just grabbed this. I, I ordered this for my son this year when all this stuff started going on and it's, this is made, they make them for, um, younger kids and then for teens. And this basically has these really cool, those of you that are listening, it's a journal, it's called the big life journal but it has these really cool pages where they write about their mindset for the day and what they're feeling. And, mm. you know, and, and so I have, you know, I have this for my son because I know he, he does internalize, you know, my daughter will voice wh whatever's going on. You don't ever have to guess with her. Right. But with my son, I recognize that. And I, I you know, not every day, but like I did it yesterday, we were driving around. I said, you know, how are you feeling? You know, have, have you been feeling you know nervous or anxious? Cause we've been stuck in the house for six months, you know, like kind of. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think some parents wait too late. I mean, I've been asking him that for a while just because of our own experiences, things that we've gone through. But I think some parents and, and I, it's not that it's ever too late, but I just think it's really important for you to understand. I think even at 
seven and eight, you should start asking them those questions about how they're feeling and like label it because like you said, they don't have the language. Yeah. Help you know? them translate it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, I, and I love that, you know, and you know, I don't know if you have other resources that they can, you know, use because young, I, you know, maybe really young parents, like, as I brought up, I was 35 when I had my son, I was 40 when I had my daughter. So like, I, I'm grateful that I was in a place, even though I went through severe trauma with my daughter's dad, you know, the divorce and everything, but I'm glad I, I was there because I don't know that I would have survived all that and been able to be as strong as I am now. Mm -hmm. If I were young, I know I wouldn't have been able to do it in my twenties. There's no way. <laughs> so, um, but I'm just thinking about people that are also weren't armed with that also weren't equipped with that, you know, with those tools. And um, like I said, that language being able to talk, and I just, I would, def, I would highly recommend this for anyone because then you can, you know, you don't have to invade their space by talking if they're not as verbal, but they can write in this and they're really short um, to write in that journal. But then, you know, you can go back and look at it and break it down and, you know, help them create that language and express themselves. And, you know, I tell my son, I'm like, it's, we have these moments where it's open space. I'm like, you can say literally anything you want right now. And mm -hmm. I, I will not get mad. I will not yell. I will not. I'm like, you can say whatever you want because I'd rather him do that than end up hurting himself or hurting someone else or. Yeah. Creating that space is huge. Like right. just having them like, and that goes like, that's part of the reason I coach a lot of men is because for men, the space has not been created to talk like that. The space has not been created to be vulnerable and to be open and saying, I feel sad. I feel weak. I feel less than it's not okay. There's no space out there. So that's one of the reasons I do what I do. So as parents or teachers, or coaches, like, you know, athletic coaches as for kids, for sports teams, mm -hmm. to create a place for a kid to be okay saying that is, it's just uh, it's unspeakably huge. Yeah, I love, I love that. So the, and I know you already mentioned a book, but one of the other questions I like to ask people are, you know, what's a book that really, really shifted your mindset or changed you helping you, you know, as you burn through things in life that you would recommend to people to read? Yeah, I saw that when you sent me the email. I uh, I had there's the first one that popped into my head is uh, Gary Brown Bishop. Stop doing that shit. Yeah, so I love he, him. He's the guy that wrote on Fuck Yourself. If you ever heard him talk, like to, you should probably go listen to like a, a snippet of him talk first, like a, a, a podcast or um, an, an audio book or something, just to get a, who he is, like to hear him speak. Then when you read the book, you can kind of like he, it's like he's talking to you. But he's yeah. an Irish guy who's just like I mean, cuts it straight. <laughs> Like there's no BS about him at all. Right. So Stop doing that shit is actually the second book after Unfuck Yourself. Um, but Stop Doing That Shit's all about self-sabotage. And it's where he talks about like the three stories. And for me, that was, I mean, I, again, every book finds you at just the right time, the synchronicity of it. And so that book found me at just the right, just the time when I was like, I was battling my stories. Like I was, I was hanging on clinging to like, and honestly, I didn't know what the story was. And reading that book was a, I allowed it allowed me to filter through and weed out all the other stuff around it and find out what my story that was keeping me depressed and stuck and and you know falling out of relationships and and broke and like all these things that was keeping me in this box to find and to recognize those stories was, I mean, it, it, just next level. So stop doing that shit, Gary John Bishop, great. The second one is one I mentioned previously about by Kamal Ravikant. Um, Love yourself like your life depends on it. 
Um, I'm going to grab that. One. I, haven't, I haven't heard of that one. So that, that'll uh, be on my list. Yeah. So he, he, there's, I mean, that, that question, the, what, what would you really, what would you do if you really loved yourself is, I mean, it's a game changer, you know, and like he has a couple of exercises in there where you stand in front of the mirror for, for three minutes and, and just, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And just like eye contact, like not, not looking elsewhere. And I'll tell you one of the, pitfalls of this is that you start you look in the mirror and you start like oh i got some hair here like oh i've got to shave and miss that spot and you're like no focus like look yourself in the eye and say i love you you know or i love myself like get real open with yourself um game and i tell people i tell my clients to do that and they're like that sounds like the most uncomfortable thing i've ever heard of in my life i'm like it's not easy but, but then why is it uncomfortable you know like that's yeah. my thing i like i like peeling the onion like anytime you feel anything, question it. Because especially if it's, I feel weird, I feel dumb, I feel stupid, I feel ugly, I feel like, where where did you learn that story? That's why, you know, I tell people like these questions are so great. Um, and that's kind of my style of coaching with my clients is I'm not necessarily ever telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm leading them to the answers that they already have. You, right. when someone says, I don't know, I'm like, you do know. The problem is, is the no that you, the answer is so uncomfortable and it's so deep that, you know, to go there, you're going to have to go through all the shit. Right. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I wanted this whole podcast to be about. Right. Is that you deserve the absolute best in life. You deserve to be happy. You I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did in life, right? I mean, there are very few things to me that I will would judge, literally judge somebody. I mean, it had to be pretty damn bad because I've done shitty things in my life. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be a hypocrite, but just start to question everything that you know because you have learned a majority of that. And you can unlearn it. You can leave it, you know, you can just leave it on your path and pick up what you want. And that's, that's what I, I love. That's what I love. Literally, I will tell you this, every video I've watched of yours, and if you guys are listening, you know, we're going to get into all your links in a minute, but definitely go follow Sam, because I'm telling you, you've actually, you probably, I probably should have told you this, but you probably inspired a couple of the quotes I wrote just from watching your videos. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, well, is there anything else yeah, I mean, that you, you yeah. want to tell everyone? So, um, you know, I, I, I'm big on vulnerability. Like if you're a guy, find a group of guys that you can get vulnerable with, even if it's like two or one, even just find a place to get vulnerable and say what you're feeling and find out exactly. Cause as soon as you start talking about it, the layers will start to fall away and, you know, and full disclosure, like it's not like the, some of the things you find in there are not going to be comfortable or easy or fun. But once you get over those hurdles, you achieve freedom. And I think to me, freedom is the ultimate form of happiness. Uh, yes. You know, like to have, and this is like physical freedom, emotional freedom, financial freedom, relationship freedom, like anything that you, anything that you can attach freedom to will be better in your life. Um, so getting vulnerable is the first step to getting freedom. Second thing I always tell everybody, um, and it's a lesson that I learned the hard way. Uh, and I failed a lot because I didn't do this, but it's allow yourself to be a beginner. Like in, every day and everything you do, no matter what, allow yourself to be a beginner. And there's example like um, Apple with the iPhone. They had to be beginners. You know, Oprah with her TV show, she had to be a beginner. Michael Jordan 
Kobe Bryant, like every, they would win championships and they would go to their trainer or their coach and be like, how can I get better? What do I have to do? What if I add to my game? These guys are like peak highest level of their, of their profession. And they admit, they say that they allow themselves to be beginners. And so the, the best way and the fastest way to achieve anything is to allow yourself to be a beginner, to go through the beginning, the learning phase. Don't, don't try and cut corners, be a beginner always. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, that's, you know, just in addition to that is like, you need to redefine what failure means. A lot of people aren't allowing themselves to be a beginner and they're not taking the leap, you know, cause like, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks anymore because I'm doing it for me. So it doesn't matter what they think. Like if you're truly loving yourself, if you want that freedom, if you're doing it for the right reasons, meaning it's going to make life better for you and for the world, right? Then you, it doesn't matter what other people think. Cause nine times out of 10, their opinion is based on their fear. Because you're, they're like, whoa, you're putting yourself out there. I could never do that. Well, yeah. you could. You're just choosing not to. But like failing is not bad. Failing is your opportunity to learn what's not going to work. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah, I think, I, I forget, I think Drew Barrymore might have said it or somebody, but it's, you only fail when you stop. The only, yes. time, the only, the only real failure is stopping. Yes, I love that. I love that. So um, I, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm actually going to be doing a round table, doing a kind of a, he said, she said also on this podcast, I'd love to have you come back on. Um, Absolutely. hundred percent in. Yeah. So we, you know, I'd, love, I'd like to kind of have that duality there. Um, but tell everyone where they can follow you, find you. Do you have any upcoming, you know, events or anything that you're doing online? Just, you know, tell everybody how, how they can, um, you know, get connected. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. Um, so Instagram and LinkedIn are the two places I spend the most time uh, where most of my content goes. So LinkedIn is just my name, Sam Morris. Excuse me. Uh, Instagram is the handle is at the Unbreakable Human Collective. Um, and then I have a new online course that I just launched. It's Samuel D. Morris backslash raise your vibration. Raise your vibration. Yeah. SamuelGMorris.com backslash raise your vibration. Got it. Well, thank you so much. I think you and I could probably talk for hours. Um, I, I love, you know, but that's what I wanted this to be about and uh, break it down and I'll be putting some clips out and I will let you know when this launches out uh, on Spotify and all the other platforms. And I'm sure I'll throw some clips out on LinkedIn yeah. uh, and Instagram where, where we like to hang out. So thank you so much. I am very grateful for everything that you put into this today. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me. I was honored to be here. Awesome. Thanks. Bye guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Burn. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. Leave feedback here to be highlighted on a future podcast listener shout out. Follow Brandy on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Brandy Holloway and The Phoenix Factor. We'll see you soon.